and I may just read the bios because I don't I haven't received the short short ones yet. All right, I think we are on. It's 12.15, good afternoon, everyone. Don Earl Johnson, and I serve as a lead pastor for Life, Life Church Auburn Hills, and I wanna welcome each and every one of you that's joining us uh, on this very important topic today on community policing. And I'm so grateful to have um, our officers with us today. One, uh, one of the officers was, was not able to make it today, but we're so grateful for uh, Deputy Chief Gagnon, um, Chaplain, Officer and Pastor Friedman and uh, Chief Gordon with us. <clears throat> I'm going to read their bios in a moment, but before we get started, I want to encourage everyone to take a moment. Please take a moment and share the stream because again, this is a um, vitally important conversation. And uh, again, we're just so grateful that everyone is here and um, that you'll be a part of this conversation. As we uh, move forward, um, again, we hold these conversations. We call them our lunchtime conversations. Life Church Auburn Hills is committed to fostering and creating what we call 3C friendships. And that is being committed, that's being cross-cultural and being Christ-centered in everything that we do. We believe those are building blocks to the kingdom that, that God has ushered in um, into the world. And those are very essential. And so as always, as I encourage people to do, I am encouraging people to, when we dive into this topic, is to remove any partisan lens because that's, that's not the angle that we're taking at all. What we're gonna do is put a kingdom filter on so we can act and speak and respond in ways that glorify God. And specifically the topic of policing, the reason that we're uh, dealing with this topic today is, I mean, when you look in the world right now, there's a lot of unrest. There's a lot of unrest that is happening. And there's a lot of things that are going on uh, regarding policing right now. And as Christians, as believers, as followers of God, it is vital, vital for us not to quote unquote, choose a side. And we're just doing a uh, series. We just kicked off a series called The Third Option, but to choose the third option and ask to honor. Because if you read scripture, and I'm a, I'll say this real quick, and then I'm going to introduce our uh, panelists today. But when you read throughout scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 5 and 17 tells us that we are new creatures because of Jesus. The thing, oh, has passed away and we become new. And not only that, but when you continue to read verse 19 and through 21 talks about us being ambassadors. So more than anything, if we're going to represent anything on earth, we're going to represent Jesus Christ. And that's the whole, that's, that's what God is calling for us to do, even in this critical moment that we're living in in history. How do we represent Jesus? And so that's why we're tackling that. Romans tells us, Romans 13, I believe, talks about the authority that be are ordained by by God and these officers and those that are in authority are actually ministers. They are ministers, whether um, you know some may um, walk in that fidelity or not. This is the truth of the matter. They are ministers of God, um, so we all can live peaceful lives. And this is um, I'm, I'm excited to have who we have today because again, I know these guys are definitely uh, ministers. And then the last thing, First uh, Peter two thirteen, it talks to us about to to align ourselves, to submit ourselves to authority and the reasoning being for the sake of Christ. So again, this conversation is vital if, as we become and walk more and more into what Christ is calling us to be. So again, thank you. Please share it. I'm going to introduce our panelists today. I'm going to start off with Deputy Chief Gagnon and I read your bio here. Deputy Chief. All right. So Deputy Chief Ryan Gagnon began his career um, with Auburn Hills Police Department in 1999. After graduating from Ferris State University with a bachelor's degree in criminal justice, he was promoted to the rank of sergeant in 2006, where he was assigned to the patrol division until his promotion to the rank of lieutenant in 2012. 
Deputy Chief Gagnon has commanded all three divisions of the police department, operations, investigations, and support services during the time as a lieutenant. He previously held positions as a field training officer, use of force slash firearms instructor, and supervisor of the department's honor guard. Deputy Chief Gagnon is a graduate, graduate of the FBI National Academy Session 276 and the Michigan State University School of Police Staff and Command. He is currently enrolled at Oakland University, working toward earning a master's degree in public administration. Ryan is married uh, to Elena and have four children. So welcome Deputy Chief Gagnon. So. Thank you, Pastor. It's an honor to be here to uh, participate in the conversation. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. And next, I'll introduce James Freeman as the managing senior police chaplain and reserve police officer for the new Baltimore Police Department. Chaplain Freeman also served as senior chaplain for the Macomb Police Chief Association, East Point Police and Fire Department, St. Clair Shores Police Department, Roseville Police Department, Huntington Woods Public Safety Department, and Macomb Criminal Justice Training Center, along with being a member of the Southeastern Police Chief Association. He's also the police commissioner with the Michigan Association of Police Chief. MAPC, uh, Michigan Law Enforcement Accreditation Commission. Jane Friedman is also the senior pastor. Oh, he's a pastor. So we may have to cut his mic a little bit. Just kidding. The senior pastor of First Baptist Church of East Point and the president of the 21st Century Chaplains Network. James serves as a program director and instructor of the Macomb Community College Criminal Justice Training Center teaching programs such as autism awareness and risk management, cultural awareness, sexual harassment, ethic, mental illness, building community organization partnership and stress awareness. He also teaches the Washington College Correction Officer Academy Chaplain Freeman is also a graduate of Macomb Police Reserve Academy and public service chaplain. James is also the president and founder of James A. Freeman Training and Consultant. That's enough. That's enough. All That's right. Enough. I, 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 all right. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. I'm honored to be here, uh, chaplain and pastor. And I want to say thank you for the foresight and the vision uh, for having this conversation and, uh, and uh, having us here with you today. Thank you. And last but definitely not least, we have Chief Mark Gordon, who began, who began his law enforcement career with Oakland University Police Department in 1988. Since that time, he has worked as a patrol officer for 10 years, patrol sergeant for seven years, administrative lieutenant for three years, captain for six years, and has served, served as the police chief for the past six years. Mark also served the community of Oxford Township Police Department for three years, giving him over 32 years of experience in law enforcement as a law enforcement professional. And let me just read this other part real quick. During his career, Mark has served in numbers of uh, roles within the police department, uh, department firearms coordinator, field training supervisor, established and supervised the first OUPD bike patrol unit, directed and managed all community education and outreach programs. <clears throat> and uh, he coordinates the university crisis managed team as well. So um, Chief Gordon, welcome. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate the introduction and the kind words. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you today. And I'd like to also just echo the words of, the, of uh, Pastor Friedman and that um, you're to be applauded for organizing this type of event where we can get these type of issues on the table and, and discuss them openly because communication is the key. And it, yes, it really is to building, to, to building community partnerships and understanding uh, both sides of, of issues. Yes, sir. Well, again, guys, for you that are listening, we have an amazing panel with years of experience here. And so our goal here is to really have a, a, a candid conversation around policing. And so as we go for, further, 
I'm going to ask you all, if you would, can you share with the audience who you are personally? Can you share about your family, uh, grandchildren, if you have, um, and some of the work that you're, you're doing? Just share something personal and also share a fun fact about yourself, hobby, food, music, art, anything like that. And so, uh, Deputy Chief Gagnon, would you kick us off with that, please? Sure. Uh, like you said, Ryan Gagnon, uh, um, I'm married, have four kids, uh, all ages, all the way from a senior at Oakland University down to a third grader. So wow. two boys, two girls, uh, three of the young ones are uh, heavily involved in travel soccer. So I'm a soccer, we're a soccer family, soccer dad, soccer mom, dr driving around all over the place. And uh, uh, some of the things that I enjoy in life outside of police work is uh, uh, I think I was born maybe a hundred years too, too late because I enjoy uh, hunting and fishing. I enjoy no technology. I enjoy uh, <laughs> peace and quiet. And, uh, but that's a little, that's a little bit about me. So thank you. All right, cool. So it's a stretch. It's a stretch for him to be doing the zoom right now. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So thank you. Thank you so much. All right, uh, Officer Freeman. Well, I've uh, two I, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know to call you Bishop. Yeah, Jay, uh, I was James before I was any of this stuff. So. <laughs> Pastor, but, all right, uh, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, two weeks from now, my wife and I will be celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary. Wow. Uh, I have four children, uh, five wonderful, well, four wonderful children, five wonderful grandchildren. Uh, um, to be honest with you, it took me a long time to get to this point, but I would have to say everything that I'm doing right now from pastoring to law enforcement, to teaching, to mentoring now, uh, I, I love doing There's There's not one thing that if I were asked to give up, I could say or choose one. I love everything that I'm doing. Uh, fun fact, I thought I was the only one that thought they were born out of due time, but Deputy Chief Ryan has joined that rank, so thank you. I always thought I should have been born during the time of the nights, but uh, <laughs> something did not place me here. And uh, uh, the older I get, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, the older that I get, I enjoy so much just spending time with my grandkids. Uh, I have five. One is uh, two are older, but uh, three are younger, you know, five on down, and I'm just enjoying uh spending time with them and playing with them and going outside and letting them run and have their fun and just watching them grow and mature is just a great joy for me. And um, that seems to be where I, I'm getting a lot of my enjoyment now. So used to be going to the gun range, but now it's the grandkids. So <laughs> two, two, two diametrically opposed things. Hey, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, thanks again. Thanks again. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, Chief Gordon. Yeah, uh, let's see, I am married, been married for 32 years, have two adult children, um, both graduates of Oakland University, so I'm very proud of that fact. No grandchildren as of yet, um, probably one of these days soon, but not as of yet. Um, I, as far as fun fact, um, outside, anything outside I'm up for. I love to be outside, I hunt, I fish, I eat TV. Um, something new that I've started here recently is uh, scuba diving. I got scuba certified a couple years ago. So my daughter and I have done a, a number of scuba trips. So I can say that you know, things underwater are, are a little bit different than they look like from on top of the water. So it's, uh -huh. uh, it's kind of exciting. Um, I am a member of the Auburn Hills Christian Center Church in the city of Auburn Hills. Um, I head up their safety team for the church. Um, so I've enjoyed that. And um, so with that, uh, you know, work takes up a lot of time. And between all of that, I stay pretty busy. Sweet. Cool. All right. Let's let's thank you all for sharing. And uh, we're going to dive in. Uh, I, I, while we're transitioning here, I just want to mention the power of, of context. Um, for many of us, especially that people that are watching, the only context that they may have is 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 what is in the media. And and that depends on whatever, you know, news channel you're watching. Um, or that context could be just, you know, one experience or maybe a couple of personal experience with um, officers, whether good or bad. And so I think it's an amazing opportunity to one, 
to have conversations like this because what it does is allow you to expand your context beyond um, just the topic. Uh, we, we, we encourage people all the time to get into relationship because it, you'll be able to see beyond what you're being fed, so to speak. And so when these questions that we have right here, and if you're watching, you can feel free to send some questions. We, we may not even get to all the questions that I have, but feel free to send some questions. And if we have some time, we'll, we'll try to um, touch those questions as well. But we want to give you a context from a different perspective here. And so let's, let's just dive in right here. All right, so in, in any order, you can feel free to answer. Uh, the first question is this, what actually motivated you to pursue a career in policing? And what was it about policing that you, that, that, that I guess hit you and you said, this is something that I wanna do? Well, I can start. Uh, my grandfather was a sergeant in uh, Northern Ontario, a uh, city, Timmins, Ontario. And uh, I looked up to my grandfather um, he passed away when I was about 12, 13 years old. So that kind of got the bug in my brain a little bit. And, uh, and, and more than that, really, it was an opportunity to be a part of a, a noble profession that impacted people in a positive way. And the, and the work was very interesting. Um, not, every day is the, uh, not every day is the same. Uh, the interactions of people we come across are not the same. Um, so being able to have an impact on people's lives. And sometimes, honestly, um, we don't show up in positive moments in people's lives. And, um, but we do realize that, you know, we have to take action at times. We have to enforce the law. That's what we swore to uphold uh, the law and in our, in our oath. And um, those, some of those negative interactions we may have from, a, from somebody's perspective um, turns into a positive thing in people's lives. And that's something that we need to remember in law enforcement as well, that um, some of the actions we take, uh, it does have a positive impact on people. And uh, so that, that's what got me interested and in, in why I wanted to get into law enforcement. Okay, sweet. Thank you. I had kind of a similar, similar set of circumstances, whereas I remember when I was a little boy, we were friends with a family of a Michigan State Trooper. And he worked some, you know, he was close to where we lived as far as where he was assigned. And he would occasionally come around our house to visit when he was in uniform. He had the car and I remember seeing the lights and the uniform and just the whole, the whole Michigan State Police. And I just, as a child, it impacted me in a positive manner because he used to always tell stories about his job and some interactions he would have with people and of course war stories. And I always thought that was very interesting. And realizing that you do actually make a big difference in the area of keeping society safe. And I know that's in a large philosophical kind of a basis, but to say that you're doing something for the greater good of, of humanity was appealing. It was appealing to me. And even though, as, as the deputy chief has said, sometimes you show up, you don't necessarily feel like you're helping um, because of the negativity that you find yourself in. But in the grand scheme of things, when you stop and you look at what you did in a day or a week or a month, and maybe it's the drunk driver you took off the, off the road, or it's the domestic violence situation that you intervened in, or whatever the case may be, you actually stop and think, you really are out here for a greater good and you are helping people. And that's attractive. It, it is. It's, it's, it's satisfying, very self-satisfying. So um, when I went to college, I started with criminal justice classes. And the more classes I took, the more interested I got in the profession. And I can honestly say after 32 years, which has been a long time, that it was the right choice for me and I would do it again. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. My, my, uh, my trajectory is a little unusual. I, uh, growing up in Detroit as I did, I really never had any, uh, a lot of contact with law enforcement. And it was sort of that same mystery that everybody keeps talking about. Thin blue line was a thick blue wall as far as I was concerned. So I didn't really know that much about law enforcement. And uh, my career started in 2006 officially when uh, my uh, chief at East Point at that time, Michael Loretti, uh, invited me to uh, start off as a chaplain uh, inside of the East Point Police Department, which I'm uh, always appreciative of. Once I started off, my, my job was to help and assist uh, the police officers, which I still do. 
Uh, most of what I do now is counseling and, and things such as that when it comes to uh, the officers that I work with. Uh, once I got involved, of course, being in a, as, as a pastor for as long as I was and still, still am, I realized that there was a lot of dynamics and a lot of roles that I could play uh, as far as helping even the community. So that was the modus uh, motivation, I should say, for me to become a uh, police reserve officer was to be able to do that. So now in uh, my departments, I work as a liaison in, in a lot of cases between our communities and our police department, uh, bridging the gap, um, working if there's any issues or challenges or problems. And so I, I kind of enjoy that position because now I'm, I'm able to stretch that role out as far as my desire to help people, where now I'm helping people in the community, helping relationships between police and, uh, and, and the communities in which they serve, as well as helping the officers who uh, are out there uh, serving the community and their as well as their families. Yeah, thank you guys. So there's a recurrent theme between all of it is to the greater good, um, to yeah. live for something that's bigger than you. So I'm, I'm sure this has definitely been a call for you all. Let me ask you, I'm gonna ask a two part question. What has been the most rewarding part of your work? And that flip side of that, what's been the most challenging part of your work? Hmm. I, I just got a, uh, and I'm, I don't think I'm revealing anything that was told to me confidentially, but I just got a, uh, a message from an officer that I worked with years ago. And um, I won't go into the details, but anyway, he uh, just sent me a message and uh, it really, it, you know, I, I don't cry, but I'm not gonna lie, I said I didn't tear up when I was reading this. And he thanked me for saving his life. Mm. Um, when I hear those types of stories or, you know, when my guys or gals come in and they say, James, we just ran into this family and they have nothing. And I'm able to supply them and help them with the resources or Christmas toys, Thanksgiving dinner, uh, whatever it might be, uh, mental, mental health and crisis, it doesn't matter. And, uh, and I get those individuals and we help them. And then just to see their lives turn around uh, means more to me than anything else. I remember, I'll be brief, but I remember one case, there was this young kid that was really going in the wrong direction and uh, one of the officers, this was in East Point, and he said, I really want you to meet this kid. And I met with them and talked with them and you know, uh, spoke at a school forum and things such as that. And uh, probably about five, six years after he graduated, uh, his teacher came to me and said, I just want to let you know how he's doing. He's in college, uh, he's on his way. He wants to go into law enforcement now. And uh, she said, I talked with him and he said that was because of you. Wow. So when you hear stories, and one of the things in law enforcement, sometimes you don't always hear the end of that story. You don't know what happened to that person you talked to or that kid you happened to arrest, but you talked to him in the back of the car and at the station. But the Lord has blessed me to be able to hear some of those stories. Hmm. And uh, that, that's, the re that's the most rewarding thing for me is helping people. And when those small occasions come, when you can hear that, you know, that your labor is, the Bible said that your labor is not in vain. Right. And that makes it, uh, that makes it even more worthwhile. Thank you. What about challenging? Challenging? Right now? Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. There was a moment that I felt all my work was pointless hmm. uh, as far as building those relationships. So, I think the I think the challenging thing is is that for me is that we're so busy talking at each other that we don't take the time to talk to each other. That's great. And and I, I preached a message years ago when God told Israel, He said, "Come, let's reason together. Let's talk. Let's have a let's have a conversation." And I thought about that. I said, if God who creates who created everything can say to His creation let's sit down and talk. Let's have a conversation. We as humans should be able to do it no matter what uniform we wear, no matter where, if, no matter what space, place, or face we come from, we should be able to sit down and have a, a conversation. Even if we don't agree, 
we should at least have that conversation. I may not, I may not agree with what you say, but if I can understand why you think the way you think or feel the way you feel, that gives us some basis and a foundation to build a better relationship. Wow. Amen. <laughs> that's, that's solid. That's solid. Um, I, I want to hear from you all. I want to comment, but I want to hear from, the, I want to hear from you, you all. So, um, Chief, Deputy Chief. Well, I can say that, you know, I hinted towards this earlier, that the, the appreciation that you get from helping people, whether they say it, whether they don't, whether it's for the greater good, whether it's the, the case in point, you know, the incident of the college you're at at the specific time. I mean, I've had, I'm sure anybody that's worked the road has had people come back after you arrest them and they go through the court process or whatever else. And they come back and shake your hand and say, you know, I was going down the wrong path. Thanks for, thanks for arresting me. It really, it comes down to that. Sometimes you get that. That's very rewarding. You know, people oftentimes come up to you as well when you're in uniform, when you're kind of out and about and they say, thank you for your service. Thanks, you know, for being here. Thanks for protecting us. You know, you know, what the work is that you're involved in does have positive aspects to it as well. So that's very rewarding. Um, you know, there's specific in the, in the 30 years plus years that I've been doing this, there's been a lot of different examples of just positive outcomes that wouldn't have happened without police intervention. So um, mental health calls, I mean, we are intervening all the time on mental health calls and people that need help and are crying out for help and some that aren't crying out for help that you realize need help. So mental health has become such a big issue in our society right now and getting the people, the resources and the help that they need to correct them. I mean, we've had veterans that have attempted suicide and that we've intervened with and that, you know, they get help and come back and say, thank you. So again, that's all very, very rewarding. Um, challenges, you know, this, this profession has, has many challenges. There's no doubt. Um, today, today's exceptionally challenging times for law enforcement. It really is, you know, to be painted with one broad brush to say that we're all one way or we're all another is, is it's frustrating at times um, because we know that it's not that way inside of our departments, inside the hearts and minds of just about all of the police officers that I work with. I can say, you know what, there are, there are good, good people that mean well and are in this profession. And then for society at times to, to broadly paint us all with the same brush is a little bit frustrating at times. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can definitely understand that point because anytime we, paint with a broad brush, use sweeping generalizations or anything like that, it skews our perspective. And it, and it does go both ways because, you know, as far as um, people of color, um, you know, some of the conversation is that we feel like we're being painted with a broad brush as well. And we're gonna get into that in, in, a, in a moment, but at the same time, I mean, it's the same sentiment that's going on right now. Uh, I know, as I mean, you guys, you're, you're a testament to that as far as walking the fidelity of what that badge means and to serve and protect. Um, but in every profession, you have people that do not walk in fidelity. I mean, preachers, doctors, lawyers. Um, yeah, so just because of, of several incidents, again, painting a broad brush with anyone is you, you always end up wrong you always end up in the wrong spot so i appreciate that did um deputy chief Gagnon, did you want to talk to on that because i if i'm going to dive into a couple of other questions here yeah i just i mean like they said uh, just having the impact on people i remember uh, one significant case where a man suicidal call and this gentleman jumped out of an oak tree with a noose around his neck right in front of me we ran up and were able to get the guy out of the tree and and uh, about three, four years later, I was our court officer. And uh, unfortunately, you know, he fortunately he lived and he, he, he changed things in, in his life. But uh, I remember uh, specifically three, four years later in the court, taking this gentleman up for a court appearance. He was in custody at the jail for, uh, I think, drug related charges. But he looked at my name tag and he remembered me and he wow. said, you're the one that helped save my life when I jumped out of that tree and wow. those types of stories, the impact and in, in him to say, thank you. Um, that is why we do what we do uh, to have positive impacts in people's lives. And, 
and just to echo the sentiment of the other panelists, uh, it, it is the challenging as time is right now and, and things that we're dealing with in the profession. And the relations in the community, um, you know, we realize and we have to realize that the majority of people do not call the police, right? So you're getting information from the media or from the movies or, you know, but we have to do a better job. And we, when we have, I think over the last 10 years, uh, you know, building that bridge in partnership with the community to show people what we do, you yeah. know, and to use technology like social media to, to, to reach uh, a broader amount of people. Um, we have to continue to do that because the majority of people are not calling us or they're not, they're, they're not interacting with the police from time to time. Um, but yeah, it's certainly the most challenging time in my career is, is right now, really. Okay. Wow. All right, quick question here. Um, policing as well as humanity in and of itself has, we, we've come a long way regarding racial interaction. And um, yes. it, 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 it serves as well to learn from the past professionally as well as personally. And with our nation and the police force becoming more diverse, let me ask you this question. How would you respond to the notion that there is systemic racism within policing. When you hear that, how do you respond to that? And, and, and let me say this real quick. Consider people that are dealing and, and, and trying to wrap their minds around several incidents, again, that we see as has happened as Daniel Prude, Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner, Philando Castile, and Tamir Rice. And, and again, there's a whole bunch of different incidents and uh, things of that nature. I know, I'll say this, when Philando Castile, when that happened, um, I, I don't, I have four daughters, um, but, and I, I don't have sons, and you may have heard of, of, you know, people of color, specifically African-Americans, having that talk with, um, uh, with our children. Uh, I literally call my, my nephews, and I'm not, I'm not a person that cried much at all, but I, I was calling them and just encouraging them, hey, if you're stopped, just stay calm. Keep your hands on the wheel. I had to, that, that talk. And because of that, I personally, I, I was just broken inside that I had, I felt the need that I had to have that conversation with them. I know my nephews, they're, they're great guys in, in college doing amazing things, but how would you, how would you respond in, with that in mind to this notion of systemic racism in policing, within policing. I can tell you that when you say that, when I hear that, that people have to have talks with, um, let's say young African-American men, uh, what to do when they are stopped by the police, it really, it pains me to hear that. It's, it's upsetting because in our department, and I can only speak about Auburn Hills, obviously, this is the only place I've worked before, but I've never seen racism. I've never seen systemic racism uh, within our department or other neighboring organizations. Uh, in fact, we will go out of our way above and beyond any complaint when it comes to race, just as an overabundance of caution to dive in and, and, and investigate any notion of somebody uh, taking action against somebody because of their race. And we always have. And, um, but I also have to realize, self-realize too, like this, this is, we're, we're a small organization in the grand scheme of things. These are small. I, I work for a medium sized agency in the state and um, there's many, many different, obviously organizations across the country where th that culture may be different. I think uh, a lot of it comes down to our hiring standards, our practices and hiring and, but don't make no mistake about it. If we have somebody that is, is taking action against somebody because of the race or religion or sexual orientation, they will be fired. There, there will be no hesitation. They will be fired for any of that. And that's something that we thankfully have not experienced here. Uh, so when I hear systemic racism, I don't see that. Um, but I'm not to say that that doesn't happen in other places. I'm not saying that. I, I can only give you my perspective, but it really saddens me and pains me that you would have to speak to your family like that. It, it, it really does. Yeah, thank you. I can say as well, you know, that 
it's it's frustrating to hear that not because of the perception that is out there i understand that but because of all the work that's gone into trying to communicate with people trying to create community relations within our own little community here and the positiveness that we've created over the years can get erased so quickly with one incident mm -hmm. and then you feel like you're starting all over again from you know internally from within our our agency itself every use of force is evaluated you know contacts when even when there's not a physical use of force but there may be a verbal confrontation we always take a look we look at our stats we look at our arrest records we look at our tickets that we give out we are constantly looking to see if there's any prejudice in our enforcement actions whatsoever so to say that from a there's you know system, systemic racism within our agency i can i can promise you there is not and we are very conscientious about it um we've we've incorporated a number of trainings for our people um to address this specific issue and, and like the deputy chief said, we can't speak for every agency out there. We can't speak for the culture that's in every agency out there. Obviously, we don't know. There's 800,000 police officers out there. All we can do is control the environment from which we come from. And I can tell you the environment that we're in, that I am in, we are always on the look for that. And again, and I'll echo the deputy chief's um, statements as well. If we thought anybody was profiling, if we thought anybody have racial tendencies in their enforcement actions, if we thought that physical force was being used more on one person than another set of, of individuals because of their race, you'd be fired. You'd be fired in a heartbeat for it. And we do constantly monitor ourselves for that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's painstaking to, to start over again, like I said earlier, to say that everything that we've done gets erased, it feels like at times. And um, because we have, we have come a long way. We have in the, in the 30 years that I've been here, we've come a long way with our relationships with our communities. And um, hopefully we can rebuild and listen to each other and build again. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Pastor, I think we're, we're, we're dealing with a number of things that I can identify with what you're saying about having that conversation. I know that my mother had that conversation with me and my brothers and my sister, I've had to have that conversation with three of my four children, uh, with the, my second boy being autistic. I never had to have that conversation with him. And I think what we're dealing with, and as Deputy Chief said, and as the Chief said so correctly, you're, you're dealing with several different things. One is culture. And then you're also dealing with the past versus the present. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with how policing was done in certain areas. Yeah. Uh, and, and the culture was built uh, based on that, you know, let's face it, law enforcement is the tip of the spear. Uh, they're the arm that everybody sees of the government. And uh, law enforcement was used in certain areas for a particular purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, that memory is still there. Yeah. You know, we're only 50 years removed from the civil rights movement. Right. So because we're living longer, people who lived during that time still exist today. They're still alive today. Uh, you're also dealing with uh, a lack of awareness and understanding. And I can honestly say just uh, the departments I represent, uh, the individuals that I know, like these two fine men here in their agencies, uh, you'll probably never see any of those events that you mentioned take place here. Uh, just because of the, the hiring practices, the training, Deputy Chief, and, Chief, Deputy Chief and I right now, uh, we just got done with a conference uh, here in Mount Pleasant dealing with accrediting uh, law enforcement departments where there's standards that departments have to uh, abide by. So I think right now, and you mentioned this earlier as far as community policing, but that's a double-sided coin. That's a two-way street. Law enforcement can't just be asked to do that. The community also has some responsibility in that. So mm -hmm. becoming aware of certain things to do. If I get stopped out on the street, I think I get stopped well, in my younger years, I got stopped quite a bit, but, but that that's that's past tense. So now all you know, things are new, right? <laughs> all things are new. I'm a new creature, so thank God for that. But uh, you know, my mom taught me you get stopped on the street, you comply. Yeah. You know, and uh if 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 there was an officer that I thought was wrong or rude or whatever the case may be, I did my fight in the courtroom, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh however, I think once we, we rebuild and we have to rebuild again these relationships, uh, 
that why why is it that you have certain departments that's never had problems like that? But then you have certain certain agencies in other places, it's constant. Yeah. Well, that's because of culture and nobody and, and here's here's what unnerves me more than anything. We wait till there's an issue. Yes. And then everybody wants to come together and we want to sit down by the campfire of Koinonia and hold hands and try to sing Kumbaya. Yeah. What if we did that before there was an incident? What if yeah. I what if I built that relationship to that? That was one of the reasons why I got involved. I was 44 years old when I went to the Reserve Academy. That was, you know, so why do we wait for there to be an incident? Let's get involved now. Yeah. So even if there if something does happen, we have that vehicle of communication that's already in place. So I think a law enforcement to a certain degree is dealing with past versus present. Yeah. And uh, if we if we let moments like this moment pass and some of the other incidents that you talked about, then the future would be just like the past has been. At some point in time, like Albert Einstein said, insanity is doing the, the same thing, the yeah. same way and, and expecting different results. This is a moment for all of us, not just law enforcement, but for the community and law enforcement to start working together to make sure that these types of incidents don't happen again. Amen. That's a perfect segue to the, the last portion of um this talk and again if you guys are watching we're we're dealing with community policing and um, I'm, I'm grateful to have this conversation and we're not going to solve everything right here but I hope you guys are listening and hearing and and really can come to the table and as has been stated many times to listen um, to listen to each other, to have dialogue, to have conversation, and not only that, but to be a part of the solution. Um, that is, as, as believers, as, as people of faith, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that is the call, not to get in a corner, a neutral corner, but to actually get in the center, as Jesus was, and to be a bridge, to reconcile. We have been committed the ministry of reconciliation. And so it's vital for us to have these conversations. Um, I had a question about room for improvement. Um, you, you've, you've heard, I mean, let me go ahead and ask this question. And then we go, we'll talk directly to community policing. The, the notion of defund the police. I, I personally disagree with it. And that's me. Um, but there is room for change. Um, where do you see if just... I guess, Chief Gagnon, let me just ask you that one. What do you see room, I guess, for, for, for change with, with policing? Yeah, I think I heard it best, uh, like Pastor Friedman was saying at this conference, I heard it yesterday from one of the police executives saying, um, we are always reforming the police. We always have been. What we've done 30 years ago, we do not do today. In 30 years from now, we will not be doing the same thing we're doing today. We are always looking to change and adapt um, so I think, uh, I think the biggest thing that is currently changing right now and where we can improve is ensuring that law enforcement agencies across the country meet certain standards of, and practices, right? Best practices, whether, yeah. whether it become to use of force, de-escalation, duty to intervene when things are, are, are wrong, um, cultural diversity, implicit ba uh, bias training things of that nature that we we need to improve on and become standardized. Um, because if we don't, all it takes, I mean, look at it, all it takes is one incident. I mean, one incident. One incident. We were, I mean, people were coming in, dropping off food, cookies and everything. Thank you so much, COVID-19 and all this. And we were praising the, the, the nurses and doctors and it was really cool. And the tragic death of uh, George Floyd. I mean, one incident like that, it was like, we're the enemy now. And if we don't standardize things and become better at what we do and adapt, um, it's more and more prevalent as time goes on, too, with uh, the implementation of body-worn cameras by police officers and filming all the interactions. Um, where this is so, in the, in the media, having access to this stuff, uh, and rightly, rightly so, with Freedom of Information Acts getting their hands on it, but it, it, it's going to be shared out there. there, there there's more, and I don't want to say there's going to be more tragic incidents because nobody wants that. But police officers are human beings. We make mistakes. 
And sometimes there's people, bad apples that are, are, that are intentionally doing things wrong and they need to be fired, held accountable, charged, convicted, whatever it may be. Um, but we need, to, we need to look at our standards and the, way, and the best practices. I think that's the big change right now. And I think it's gonna take, it's gonna take some time to, to do that. Yeah, and uh, I have one um, comment dealing with mental health. Because um, some cases, as we we know, it should be a social worker, maybe a company, or maybe you know, actually on the call instead that, of an Pastor, office. Pastor, could I jump in on that one? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's there's prior prior to COVID nineteen, there was an initiative being pushed, and, and the chief knows this, and the deputy chief knows this. I know I know that uh, the chief uh, there in Oakland, uh, I think they, matter of fact, I know they do. They already uh, are operating in this in, in Auburn Hills. I know the deputy chief and the chief have already initiated that because I met with them about it. But there's an initiative called Crisis Intervention or CIT. Mm -hmm. uh, it was it's being pushed like crazy in law enforcement. Uh, in Macomb, I'm on a mission. To, uh, to get it op operated there. So one of my departments, uh, we already have an initiated, I'm one of the seven uh, CIT officers there. But what the CIT, the initiative is, is to have specially trained officers to deal with the mental health in crisis. Not just, to not, to, not just for no escalation or de-escalation, but also to give that individual or their family or caregiver or guardian the support system that they need and the resources that they need. Yeah. So what you have in Oakland County and at Oakland University, what you have at Auburn Hills and what we're now pushing in Macomb is to have those partnerships with those in the mental health uh, uh, care facilities or professionals, those who deal with uh, addictions, organizations yeah. like CARE, yeah. uh, those who deal with uh, uh, human trafficking, I mean, just the homelessness, because it's all reciprocal, it's all part of that mix, so that if an officer goes out and dealing with somebody in a mental health crisis, right, mm -hmm. well, that officer may or may not be trained, if you're dealing with excited delirium, autism, or, or somebody that's bipolar, that's been out their meds, I mean, we could go on and on, anxiety right. disorder, they have those systems in place to help that individual, but then help that individual find themselves not in that position again. So we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Right. We just need to continue to use what's already out there. So when people say defund the police, no, we need to fund the police so that they can have these initiatives in place. So because if you give me a hammer, everything is a nail. I'm sorry. Right. Right. If the skill set is a hammer, then every situation I run into, I'm going to treat it like a nail. Right. You give me more tools on my toolkit. Come on. Amen. <laughs> I have more items and more, uh, you know, a, a guy at the academy said, so it was verbal judo at that time. It's not verbal judo anymore, but it's now interpersonal communication skills, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He said, your brain and your ability to communicate is the best tools you have. And wow. then your outside resources. I never forgot that. Wow. So CIT is in existence. You got two to three departments, actually, that's on this panel right now that's already doing it nobody knows about it hmm. so maybe we need to do a better job of marketing uh to let people know that these systems are already in place and we have departments here in michigan that's already operating in them when it comes to the mental health all right yeah i will say uh, uh, go ahead chief well i just i think it's important to point out as well too that you know through time you evolve as a, as a police agency expectations from the community and from our society change. Five to seven years ago, mental health was not at the level of expectation that it is now. And law enforcement officers have to get caught up to, up to speed on the best practices, the best response tactics, the best way to deal successfully with mental health issues. And we've been playing catch up for a number of years with training, training our officers, experimenting with different approaches, including mental health professionals in our responses. So if you defund the police, those types of adjustments in our response are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. Yeah. So I think it's important to point out that as 
societal expectations change, police training has to change. And it takes money to change the training to bring the law enforcement up to speed on what the expectations are currently and how to best respond. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that's one of the reasons why we're having this conversation, to share this information that, I mean, training is vital. Um, and, and you guys are actually working on it. Um, you see the issues, the challenges, the areas of improvement, and you are evolving as an organization. Um, real quick, we only have like 10 minutes left, and I want to talk <laughs> about the community. What are uh, some keys to building healthy community relations? And uh, I mean, they're, they are vital. They're vital. We have to, like you, you've been saying it earlier, as far as coming to the table, working together, because it's not just one side. This is a community issue. Even the, the training with diversity, uh, as you mentioned, um, Deputy Chief Gallion, um, the implicit bias. Share with us, what are some keys to building healthy community relationships? Well, I think uh, it's, it's inviting the community in and being transparent and letting them uh, see what we do. So things like citizens academies um, that we do every year. Uh, we just started uh, two years ago, a youth academy. In fact, we uh, intentionally tried to recruit um, people of color, to young, young men and women that are potentially interested in law enforcement uh, to join our youth academy a week long during the summer to learn about the profession or, or the opportunities that we, they have while they're going to school to, uh, with our cadet program. And um, those are important as well as meeting with people on a personal level in the community um, and, and kind of coming to them. So during uh, just recently, we wrapped up uh, for about five, six weeks. Uh, we commandeered an ice cream truck and we uh, drove it around once a week for two hours. We took it around town uh, giving out free ice cream. Uh, the Auburn Hills Community Coalition sponsored that. Uh, we're grateful for them. And, uh, but it was, it was really cool experience to show up in people's neighborhoods unannounced, lights and sirens blaring, people screaming on the PA, free ice cream, free ice cream. And, and just being able to touch base with people where they're at in their, near their own homes. And, uh, you know, that was positive because we talk about challenging times right now. And then I remember I remember those interactions and I remember like good people like you. And it's like, you know what, like what I, what you see on the news is not reality in most cases uh, of where, you know, the way the sentiment people have, because everybody was very cool and everybody came out and we talked and they wanted, they gave our, their perspectives of things. And we talked uh, with ours. And so those types of things we need to, we, we are constantly trying to look for opportunities to engage with the community uh, and that's just one recent event we did uh, in the midst of all this. Yeah, there were, I, I had an opportunity to actually. You came, you came out, you came out, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it was amazing. It was it was beautiful to be out there with the community. Uh, again, positive interaction. You you also did, for Auburn Hills, I know, we did birthday drive-bys. And yeah. so people, yeah, I guess submitted their birthdays and you, you uh, rode by their house with a, yeah with lights and everything and to let people know that this is about community. And, uh, and I know personally, like as far as school involvement, anytime that I would host an event, I will make sure that uh, the officers are there because it's, I think for me, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing for the community to see the police and the police to see the community. And so we would have um, a summer splash and we have the cops, the police there and everyone would just come on, come around and, you know, taking pictures and in the, in the vehicle. And again, it's healthy relationships. So I, I, I would agree that it, it, it takes the community to put the unity in there. Um, so anyone else? And again, we're, we're wrapping up as far as positive community relations. Yeah, I think Pastor Friedman hit it earlier right on the head, which is the community and the police have to have pre-established relationships before a crisis. Yes. So if they're calling our agency for help and they know the officer that shows up or has had contact with the officer prior to the to the, the event that's occurring, it is so vital to have those relationships in place and to know each other on a personal level. And the only way you do that is you reach out to each other. If you do not create the circumstances where 
where officers in your community can get together in a calm environment where you're not being called to intervene in some situation, you are so far behind the eight ball because you, no one knows what to expect from the other side. So having those relationships in advance in a, in a spirit and an atmosphere of calmness is unbelievably vital in every community. And I think, you know, I think the onus is on law enforcement to extend the hand and to say, look, here's who we are. Here's where you can come meet with us. Here's where you can talk to us. Here's what we have to offer you. Please invite us to your functions and in, in your events and we'd be glad to participate. Amazing. And chat pass very quickly. I, I wanna echo everything that's already been said uh, by my uh, dear friends here. But I also want to make a challenge to every pastor, every church leader, every chaplain, uh, any Christian or faith-based person that's watching or listening. I want to challenge you also to reach out to your local department or sheriff's department and start that conversation. Let them know, come to our church, come to our house of worship. Let's sit down and break bread together. Let's reason together. Let's form that relationship that hopefully grows and morphs to become a partnership. And let's work together to make sure that uh, what is taken, we may not be able to change the nation, hopefully we can, but we're definitely gonna make sure we change our locale, our city, our county and our community. Thank you. I have one question that I want to make sure I ask from the audience and then we'll just wrap up with closing remarks. Um, there's a question that says, what are police officers doing to make minorities feel safe during traffic stops? And she added something small, something as small as, hey, you're safe, um, can help build trust and, and comfort. And I'd like to get your perspective on, on, on that comment. Yeah, I think um, just being ourselves are per, uh, you know officers regardless of who they stop mm -hmm. have to always uh, have a mindset of, of their safety and the safety of the people in the vehicle um, you know for example last year 48,000 police officers were assaulted in the United States and, and just under 10,000 of them were by firearm or by deadly force objects and so when we train with use of force and that sort of stuff you know, we, we don't know who we're stopping. We have no idea, for example. So we're always very cautious, but we always have to maintain professionalism and be personable with people, right? And, and, you, can, and you can maintain both. You certainly can. It's very easy to. Um, but it's important that we explain to people, okay, this is why I stopped you right away, okay? This is why I stopped you. Let me see your driver's license. And just be a calm demeanor that our officers need to be calm, have a calm demeanor and openly communicate with them to say, hey, this is not a big deal. The reason I stopped you is you ran through the stop sign or you're going over the 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. Let me see your driver's license. Um, I, it pains me to, like I said before, when you say about safety and that, I mean, I don't feel like we have to, if I stop the car, I don't feel like I have to say to somebody, for example, you're safe now. I mean, that, that that's not even like, not just because of, of who you are or the color of your skin does not mean you are unsafe. I mean, that, that's what I'm trying to wrap my head around. Right. Uh, and I get it. I get the person. I, I totally get um, the question and why people may say that from what people have experienced in the past. I, I totally understand that. I'm not diminishing right. that. It's just, it's painful to, to, to have to even think about saying that to somebody because for example they they are african-american uh, it, it really is I, I i just treat people like i would anybody else uh, as a person and uh deal with uh, the the traffic violation for example um that, that's a that's the best answer i can give that's good i appreciate that you could say that we've talked in-house with our officers you know like a roll call about this very issue because we've had a number of situations that have occurred where obviously the driver, they're African-American especially, are uncomfortable with the traffic stop rate from the get-go. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about looking for cues, looking for that uncomfortableness as soon as you walk up. And it's okay with officer safety in mind to put the traffic stop reason aside for just a few minutes. It's important to advise them as the deputy chief has said, while you're interacting with them, but put it aside 
and discuss the safety issue if they wish to do that and talk about the fact that we're going to do everything we can to be safe. Just because I've stopped you doesn't mean you're going to jail. It doesn't mean that you've done any offense that's that I have to take you out of the car for. I don't know. I don't know you. You don't know me. Let's talk about the safety part of this, and then let's re-engage about why I stopped you. And they've had a number of people that are very interested in talking about that right off from the get-go. Am I safe? I mean, I remember one officer saying as soon as he stopped a car, he walked up to the side of the car, and the car said, the individual said, I feel like my life is being threatened right now. So the officer stopped, de-escalated, talked the person down. Again, set aside the traffic offense. Let's talk about your safety. Who am I? Who are you? Let's build a little rapport here, and then we can come back to the why we're stopping you. So, so there's been conscious conversations about that. That's great. All right. Closing cl closing remarks. Let's do this because we're we're uh, at, at time. And again, guys, there's more questions coming in. We again, we're not going to solve <laughs> everything right here at all. But I hope you heard um, enough information to help us all. Uh, think a little different, and not only think different, but but respond different. Um, conversations like this need to be had. It needs to continue um, to see how we can live again for as Christians, as believers, um, in, in that third option, and 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 glorify God in our relationships with all our relationships. So, closing remarks, and then we'll we're going to pray, um, and then uh, and we'll be done. So, any closing remarks? Deputy Chief Once again, I want to thank you for posting uh, this and uh, thank you for everyone that's been watching and listening and for the questions. And uh, let's just work together. And I think right now law enforcement is understanding that uh, there's some relationship building that needs to take place. And the community is, I think, is beginning to see it's okay for me to voice my opinion and to share what I think and what I feel in a professional, personable, and uh, positive way. And, my call to everybody is let's, let's just let's not talk about change anymore. Let's be the change. Come on. Yes, sir. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you, uh, Pastor, for the opportunity to participate. I think uh, this has made me realize also at the time we're living in that sometimes in law enforcement, we don't listen very well. We like to talk mm -hmm. and we like to tell people what to do and so on and so forth. And I think it's important in law enforcement that we listen more and uh, we are committed to doing that. We are committed to sitting down and listening to people's perspective or the way they feel. We, we I really do believe that is important to educate us um, so that we can do a better job. And um, it's important to do that. So we're, we're committed to listening and being part of the conversation. So thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. I think Keep it's going. important to realize and, and to communicate to people in law enforcement, we realize that there are there's damage control that has to be done now, yeah. um, moving forward. And I think you see evidence of that sometimes in, in police agencies already. But as 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 hands are extended from law enforcement, as there's opportunities to meet with officers, as there's chances to go to events that maybe are being sponsored by law enforcement, I just like to encourage your listeners and your viewers to to take advantage of those. Go with an open mind try to go in and talk to the officers, understand that they're human beings as well, create the partnerships that they're trying to create, and just take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves, because I think you'll find that they go a long way um, when you need help, when you need an officer, when you need to dial 911, when those partnerships are in place, it is hugely different in the interaction between the officers and the community. Yeah, thank you again. I, I, I'm, I'm... I really appreciate you all for your time. Again, you, this was a sacrifice, I know, um, but I think it was well worth it. Um, my prayers are for you. We're going to pray in just a quick moment. Uh, I just saw a startling fact um, that I, I meant to mention this earlier, um, that the right now in, in the U.S., the leading cause of death among officers is COVID. Um, and we didn't even kind of talk about that and the adjustments that you all had to ma make. But um, out of the 193 recorded deaths, 105 of them are due to COVID. And so on top of just policing in and of itself, um, you're, you're, you're dealing with this is real, regardless of what you believe politically, 
This is a real issue. And I think conversations like this is vital for us again to come together, not be a tool for the enemy to divide, but to be used by God in this moment to bring people together. And so I thank you for the efforts that you all are doing. Thank you for your time. And I wanna just pray and then we'll, we're done here. So Father, we just thank you so much for these officers, their families, Lord, the years of service that they have given and uh, the people that they lead. You see beyond the narrative that we see on television, Lord, you see the hearts of men. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you continue to use these uh, great individuals, Lord, for your work. Again, according to scriptures, they are ministers. They are ministers of God. And it's for the good, the good of society. And Father, we just pray that you continue to guide them and lead them. And even for those that may not walk in the fidelity of, of what that badge represents, we ask that they you know, pull them out and, and uproot them, Lord, and um, that you would di redirect them and um, that you would help us as a community to come together and be, Lord, who you're calling us to be, the church. Help us to be who you're calling us to be in this moment. We don't want to miss this moment to allow our light to shine, Lord. So we ask you to help us, forgive us, and let us walk together in peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. And we went over our time, but again, it was well worth it. I really appreciate you all. And um, that's all we have. So thank you guys. Feel free to continue to comment. We'll, we'll try to respond. Share this because I think it's vitally important. Share it with your friends, tag someone, or whatever you have to do. Thank you all again, uh, Chief, uh, Deputy Chief Gagnon, Chief Gordon, and Bishop uh, James Freeman. <laughs> Thank you so much. You stop. <laughs> God bless you guys. Thank you. Bless you. All right. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate yes, it. Sir. Absolutely. Bye-bye.